There's one day left. Tomorrow night, the polls will close and voting for the next president of the United States will end. Like they've done on election nights past, Americans will wait for the results to come in. CBS projects that Senator Barack Obama of Illinois will be the next president of the United States. And for the news outlets to declare the winner. We can now project the winner of the presidential race. CNN projects Donald Trump wins the presidency. But this is no ordinary election year, and we should expect the wait to be longer than usual, maybe days. A global pandemic forced the campaigns and local election officials to tear up their playbooks. Millions more Americans voted by mail than ever before. President Trump has waged a misinformation campaign about mail-in voting. When you do uh, all mail-in voting ballots, you're asking for fraud. People steal them out of mailboxes. And in this election, it's created a partisan divide. Polls indicate Democrats are twice as likely to vote by mail than Republicans. They come down to Pennsylvania. In one crucial swing state, Pennsylvania. We win Pennsylvania, we win the whole thing. You gotta get out. It's the first time all voters can cast their ballots by mail, and more than three million people have applied. Those returned ballots have been piling up in elections offices, unable to be opened until Election Day. Officials in cities like Philadelphia say the full count can't be done in a single day. It takes a really long time to count hundreds of thousands of mail-in ballots. That process itself takes days. But the president has refused to say he'll wait to declare victory until the official results are in. Will you pledge tonight that you will not declare victory until the election has been independently certified? President Trump, I'm you go first. I'm urging my supporters to go into the polls and watch very carefully because that's what has to happen. In this episode, we ask voters in Pennsylvania about casting their ballots in this unprecedented year and whether that famous Philly mantra, trust the process, still rings true. This particular election, for some reason, the fear that it wouldn't count made me come in to vote in person. How long will it take to count those millions of mail-in ballots? And what happens if legal challenges start flying, there or in other contested states? There is no umpire with overriding authority who is able to say to the players, the game is over, you won, you lost, time to go home. Is our democracy strong enough to bend but not break under the pressure? From the PBS NewsHour, this is America Interrupted. I'm William Brangham. Daniel Bush, great to have you. Nice to talk to you, William. NewsHour senior political reporter Daniel Bush has been on the campaign trail in the battleground state of Pennsylvania. He spent a lot of time talking to voters and election officials there. Dan, can you remind us again why Pennsylvania is so important this year? Sure. So Pennsylvania is a big deal. It was one of the three main states that put President Trump over the top in 2016 and in winning the Electoral College vote, along with Michigan and Wisconsin. But he only won by 44,000 or so votes. So it's a critical battleground again in 2020. 
both for Trump and for Biden. If you look at the polls, William, right now, it's pretty much neck and neck. Um, Biden is up but just by a couple of percentage points. But Pennsylvania is also, at the same time, the site of some of the highest profile legal battles over how people can vote during the pandemic. So they're getting this deluge of mail-in ballots. How are they preparing? So officials have never had to deal with anything like this before, William, of course, and they say that there are some deadlines and timing issues which are really going to put a strain on the system. In Pennsylvania, they can only start processing mail-in and absentee ballots at 7 a.m. on Election Day, which does not give them very much time to process and then count all those votes and try and get the results out sometime that night. I talked to Philadelphia City Commissioner Lisa Dealey about how they're going to handle that. At 7 a.m. on Election Day, we will be also preparing and standing up an in-person election with 1,703 precincts uh, throughout the cities. We uh, rely on about 8,500 election board workers throughout the city who are mostly comprised of our neighbors that live in our neighborhoods that come in and, and work the polls for us in person on election day. In addition to that, this year, uh, we're also staffing up our needs to uh, get these ballots moved and processed through the system. Um, there'll be hundreds of people that'll be working 24 hours a day uh, until this, every ballot is counted. So on top of that, as you mentioned before, there's all sorts of legal fights over how, when, and what they get to count in Pennsylvania. Can you remind us a little bit about what's going on there? This is so confusing, William, for so many voters and even for officials in the state of Pennsylvania, because as you said, there are so many legal disputes playing out literally in the days leading up to the election. So people are following three challenges in particular. I want to run through those. The first one and the biggest one is a legal challenge that went all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court ruled that a lower court ruling could stand allowing for mail-in and absentee ballots to be counted if they're received after election day, as long as they're postmarked before election day and received by 5 p.m. on the Friday after the election, those votes can count. Republicans challenged that and went back before the Supreme Court And the court said, look, we don't have enough time to look at this case on its merits and and reach a full decision before Election Day. So for now, these votes will be counted. But the conservative justices who wrote this opinion, led by Justice Alito, left the door wide open for a legal challenge after the election. Alito said after the election is over, this could come back before the court. So while those votes are going to count for now, they could become part of a big legal fight. Two other very important cases, William. The second was a win for Democrats. This was a state Supreme Court ruling which held that mail-in and absentee ballots can't be rejected just because the signatures are mismatched. And the third case, this was a case that was considered a win for Republicans, and it was a ruling which held that voters must place their absentee or mail-in ballots inside of a secrecy envelope. That's the envelope that then goes into an outer envelope and is sent through the mail. Republicans had argued that that would increase transparency and security in the election. But William, in speaking with elections officials, they told me they're not concerned about fraud. But what they were concerned about was voters navigating all these complex maze of rules and changes and laws as they figure out how to cast their ballots. 
Lisa Dealey told me it's hard to run an election when the rules keep changing. It creates an, an atmosphere where it makes it hard to get for voters to have clarity. And voters don't have clarity. I don't, we don't have clarity. We're trying to administer the election. So uh, it just makes it, you know, really a, a puzzle. Those are a lot of challenges for voters, for elections officials. Uh, on top of that, we've also seen the Trump campaign has been deputizing what they call the Trump army of, of volunteers to come watch people voting, watch the polls, to, to look out for suspicious activity. We've already seen some uh, evidence of them acting in Pennsylvania. What's, what's been happening there? So lawyers for the Trump campaign submitted what they claim to be evidence in the form of video surveillance or monitoring of people dropping off multiple mail-in ballots at drop-off locations in these deposit boxes where you can leave your vote. And under the law, voters are only allowed to drop off their own ballots. But the Pennsylvania State Attorney General, Democrat, said that that kind of video surveillance or monitoring amounted to illegal voter intimidation. And this sort of back and forth was an early indicator of what could be a pretty messy, protracted fight over voting and poll watching in Pennsylvania. But it was also a sign of, of the tensions that we could see at polling locations tomorrow in Philadelphia and across the state. And William, to be clear, so poll watching is not a new thing. And under certain circumstances, it is legal. But here, in this case, the state did end up determining that the Trump campaign crossed the line. So all these rules are changing. There's court challenges. There's accusations flying back and forth. You've been talking with Pennsylvania voters amid all of this. Um, what are you hearing about how they're actually going about voting? I've heard a range of things, but most people say that they trust the mail-in balloting process. This is Vani Long. He's a union leader in Chester County, Pennsylvania, a blue area that includes Philadelphia suburbs and that Clinton won in 2016. President Trump is fighting for those votes this time around. I haven't seen any evidence that it would be fraudulent. In fact, when I was in the Navy in the 1980s, I voted by mail. I think it was a secure system then, and I think... Uh, we are new here in Pennsylvania, but I think every county, their offices have taken measures to make it a secure and, and valid system. And I think arguments to make it seem fraudulent, they're disingenuous, and I, I, I don't think they're right. Other voters I talked to said the president's rhetoric around voting by mail changed their mind. Here's Alicia Simmons, also in Chester County. I plan on going in personally and voting versus the mail-in ballot. I feel like somehow, some way, things will be altered to where we either need to vote again or Trump is automatically going to win. I don't feel safe mailing my ballot in. I feel more safer going into the polls. I agree. Hearing those voters, it certainly makes you realize how important this election is for Democrats. They certainly feel like uh, getting the president out seems central on their minds. What about the other side? What have you been hearing from Republican voters? Republicans, by and large, William, are fired up to vote for President Trump in Pennsylvania. I talked to one voter, Jeff Bacola. He's a Trump supporter and also a former Republican state lawmaker from York County, which voted overwhelmingly for Trump in 2016. I think one of the greatest experiences on, on the planet is to be able to go to your local election place and cast your ballot in a free election. That's uh, we, we don't realize how blessed we are. Um, barring unforeseen circumstances, I'm going to show up in person. 
even the Philadelphia City Commissioner Lisa Dealey said that you know she gets caught up in in the process of going and voting in person on election day, and that she also had her doubts about the experience as a voter of mailing in your ballot. I'm a big fan of in-person elections because I grew up that way. And for me, election day, I've always found it to be like one of the best community days in Philadelphia. I I, kind of was a a little apprehensive about the mail-in voting because I, I thought that we would lose that. But what I'm seeing out at our satellite offices is really, it's a wonderful thing. People are spirited, they're enthusiastic, there are very long lines, but they're waiting while folks are there providing entertainment and music. We've traded the, possibly a little bit of the, the election day experience into these uh, day-long satellite election office experiences, which are really proven to be have Philly feel to them. So, Dan, speaking of Philadelphia, you're going to be there tomorrow on Election Day. What are you looking out for? Well, we don't know how this is all going to go. You know, all the intense scrutiny over mail-in balloting and these legal court cases in Pennsylvania, it could all end up being moot if, you know, Biden wins Florida outright, for example, some other battleground states. Um, Or, of course, if President Trump has a big night and then these tight margins are less of an issue. On the other hand, though, William, I mean, we could be looking at days of counting these mail-in ballots, days of arguments and court fights over which ballots should be counted, which ballots should not be counted. That could all center on Pennsylvania as well as a couple other states. So there's still a lot of uncertainty just hours before in-person voting ends on Election Day. As Dan said, there are a whole host of what-ifs surrounding this year's election and how we actually determine the winner. Barton Gilman, great to talk with you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Barton Gilman is a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist who now writes for The Atlantic. His November cover story is called The Election That Could Break America, and it explores all the myriad ways this election could go sideways. Gilman's chronology starts on election night with what's known as the Red Mirage. That's where President Trump has an early lead in the count because Republicans are more likely to vote in person, and those results get tabulated quickly. But then, as mail-in votes start being counted, President Trump's early lead could start to shrink. Remember, polls show Democrats are voting by mail, this time far more often than Republicans. And in Pennsylvania, they can't start counting those millions of mail-in votes until Election Day. Over time, as provisional ballots and uh, late reporting precincts and the mail-in ballots are counted, there will be a shift toward blue in which many of Biden's votes will come in and Biden may pull ahead. And Trump has clearly laid the groundwork for suggesting that anything that disadvantages him that comes in late is illegitimate. Uh, The one premise I have that I think we can count on is that Trump, if he is defeated, will not concede defeat. So even if it's a landslide, demonstrable landslide called by the Associated Press and everybody else on election night, you think he still won't concede? I'll be very happy to be wrong because I think that the cascading effects of failing to concede are significant, but I do not believe he will concede. He will say the election was rigged, that it was fraud, uh, or some other excuse. 
look, he's literally said in his speech for the Republican convention, he has said the only way that we can lose is if the election is rigged. I believe he'll stand by that. Let's talk a little bit about the ways in which the president might actually contest this election. I know you reported on this dry run that uh, some GOP officials in Pennsylvania did during the primaries that were held over the spring, where they sat there and watched as elections officials counted ballots and gamed out how they're going to challenge this ocean of mail-in ballots that are going to be counted starting on Election Day and beyond. What, what, what's going to happen there? I can't say what's going to happen. But what I do know is that the top Republicans in the state have talked among themselves and have talked with the Trump campaign about a maneuver in which they could reject the results of the vote count, arguing that it was fraudulent. And how would the GOP lawyers and the Trump legal team go about trying to amass evidence of fraud to to bolster that case? Well, there is already a plan to challenge as many mail-in ballots as they can by arguing that the signature's in the wrong place or the date is incorrect or the there is no date on the outer envelope or there is no inner envelope which protects the security and privacy of the ballot. And at any of those moments along the way, if one of those processes is not followed exactly, that's a point for a challenge where, where a Biden campaign official or a Trump campaign official could stop and say, uh, that ballot, that's no good. Right. And so suppose someone accidentally writes their birthday instead of the date of signature, which is a relatively common error. You know, you sort of name, address, date of birth, that's what you're expecting to see. And, and, uh, and so you write your birth date. You know, one reading of the law would be, you've clearly showed your intent to vote and your attempt to fill out the form. You've made a fairly minor error that actually has nothing to do whatsoever with the vote itself. And so the intent of the voter is clear and the ballot should be counted. The Republican tactic in this case will be to say, the regulations state that you must date your signature, and if the date is incorrect, the ballot must be discarded. And and just to be clear, that's a legal way to challenge the validity of a ballot. Yes, this is a legal challenge that the Republicans have the right to do, but there are always errors. There's no end to the possibilities for small things to go wrong in an election. It happens every cycle. It doesn't have anything to do with fraud, but a sufficiently motivated partisan could argue that they do. And as you report, that what we understand about the preponderance of mail-in ballots being voted by Democrats versus Republicans in this election gives Republicans a a, a very simple target, that if you choose to challenge mail-in ballots, by and large, you're challenging blue voters. That's true. Uh, It never has been true until now in any election that Republicans were just as likely to use mail-in ballots and sometimes likelier than Democrats. Trump has actually created this proxy in which they can be fairly confident that if they succeed in discarding a mailed ballot, it is much more likely to have been a Democratic vote than a Republican vote that they've discarded. And do you think that the longer this count of mail-in ballot goes on, the longer there are these kinds of challenges, what happens then? The longer it goes on and the greater uncertainty there is, 
the more purchase Trump will find with his supporters for the proposition that the whole thing is fraudulent and fake. And as time goes on, there will be more pressure on state legislatures to think about something called the safe harbor deadline, which is December 8th. And if a state hasn't got its act together by December 8th, if it has not appointed electors for the Electoral College, then there's a risk that those votes won't count. So what happens? Walk us through that. December 8th, well after the election, if a state hasn't formally put its rubber stamp and said this is definitely how the votes came in in our state, what happens then? So what happens is the state legislature starts to feel concerned about the possibility that Pennsylvania's votes won't be counted at all, that those 20 electoral votes will simply be discarded or will be contested. And so the Republicans have talked about having the Republican House and Senate in Pennsylvania, because the GOP controls both chambers, would simply by vote appoint electors for Trump and send them off to the National Archives and the President of the Senate, which is the procedure. And, And that's well within their power to do that. They're completely legally allowed to do that. Well, arguably. There is no doubt Pennsylvania law that governs how electors are chosen. The legislature has the power to to select electors any way it likes, but as it has already made that selection, the Democrats would argue, under Pennsylvania Commonwealth law. Uh, And so on January 6th, Congress meets formally to count the, the electoral votes. In most years, you don't even know what's happening because everybody understands the election results already and everyone has accepted them. The problem is what happens if there are multiple claimants to be, let's say, Pennsylvania's 20 electoral ballots, that 40 people cast 20 votes and Congress has to figure out which ones count. Okay, that scenario is potentially over two months away. But Gilman also reported on the concerns of what happens tomorrow, on Election Day, if people heed the president's call and show up in huge numbers to watch over other people coming to vote. The Trump campaign calls them poll watchers. It also calls them the army for Trump. They are aiming their work in places where the majority of the people can be expected to vote Democratic. They are aiming in particular at brown and black neighborhoods. Uh, Of course it's intimidating, and of course it's meant to be so. But you have the right to stand in line unimpeded and unobstructed and unharassed to cast your ballot. And if someone's trying to frighten or prevent you from getting to the poll or challenging your right to vote, um, you can report that either to police or to election monitors who will be there at crucial polling places, and they will seek legal intervention. When you look at other states apart from Pennsylvania, are there other hot spots that you worry about that, that from election day forward could be particularly problematic? Well, Wisconsin and Michigan uh, also have the likelihood of late-counted mail-in ballots. So any state in which there is a significant delay on final results and in which Trump could be leading on election night and then lose in the final tally 
after a lot of controversy due to the blue shift, has larger potential for mischief than others. There are states like Florida and Arizona where we expect the count to be fairly quick and not to leave as much room for controversy that way. The thing that really strikes me about your reporting is just how fragile this whole process really is. Maybe I just lived under this assumption all my life that surely the Constitution and all the laws that follow from it are crystal clear on how we vote, how those votes are counted, how those votes get transmitted up into who actually ends up as our president. And your piece was really a, a revelatory that way of how rickety and crazy and labyrinthine the whole process is. Well, the system is built to preside over a peaceful transfer of power, to give the forms, but it doesn't guarantee one. It depends on norms and traditions and the fundamental willingness of the parties to accept the results of the voice of the people. There is no umpire with overriding authority who is able to say to the players, here's the score, the game is over, you won, you lost, time to go home. And if you have a participant who is simply not tethered to the facts and the reality that are recorded by the official count, who has the powers of the presidency at his disposal, and who has 40 or 45 percent of Americans who are vocally in his corner and not prepared to accept the legitimacy of the results, then you have a tough situation for the country. And it is my greatest hope that my article will seem alarmist in retrospect or that all it will be is a primer on how poorly prepared the system is for disaster. But if there is a sufficient landslide, and especially if Biden is clearly winning by the day after the election, then Trump will have much less running room to challenge the election. I believe he still will challenge it. I believe that he is capable of drawing out the process and damaging the legitimacy of the result. Elections officials across the country are doing their best to ensure that results come as quickly and accurately as possible to try and ward off these doomsday scenarios. Lisa Dealey, for one, the Philadelphia city commissioner, says she's heard the president cry fraud before, But as a true Philadelphian, she continues to trust the process. I had this job in 2016 as well, when then-candidate Trump made many of the same accusations about fraud in Philadelphia. And, you know, in 2016, we ran a free and fair election in Philadelphia with none of those problems that then-candidate Trump spoke of. We're going to do the same thing on November the 3rd, and the results will be what the results are. But this is the city where democracy was born, and we're going to do everything we can to continue to uphold that democracy. Words of cautious optimism in the final hours of a chaotic and unpredictable presidential race, one that may yet have more twists to come. This episode was produced by Leah Nagy, Ryan Connolly-Holmes, and Vika Aronson, and edited by Erica R. Hendry and Emily Carpo. Music by Blue Dot Sessions. 
Our thanks, as always, to Travis Daub, Vanessa Dennis, James Williams, and Maura Shannon. Our executive producer is Sarah Just. You can follow all of our coverage on air and on our website, pbs.org newshour. Thanks for listening.